if you are hoping and praying that a brand does not come along and completely copy and knock off your brand, and you are in the process of scaling that business, you are taking it to the next level, and you don't have a trademark yet, this is definitely the episode for you to listen to. I'm so happy I had my friend Nicole Swartz from Sprout Law here, and we talked all about the importance of trademarking, timing of trademarks, what can happen if someone trademarks before you or after you if you've submitted a trademark incorrectly. And she's giving you all this information from her own experience. She's a lawyer that launched a beauty brand and didn't trademark and then had to completely rebrand that brand. And she now successfully sold off that brand and she helps female founders, particularly in the product business world, get their brands trademarked and protected so that you don't have other brands copying you. So it's a great episode. I hope you enjoy the chat. Let's dig in. Hey friend, quick question for you. Are you feeling stuck with how to get your brand to stand out on FAIR? I'm asking you because as a buyer myself, I can tell you that there are just so many brands out there vying for the attention of these buyers, but I know that your brand has something so special and it needs to be seen. I put together a private podcast for you that goes deeper into what buyers are really looking for on the FAIR platform and how you can stand out from the crowd to grow your wholesale business and really land those dream buyers. So If this resonates with you, head to the link in the show notes for instant access. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really honored. I have Nicole Swartz here with me today, and we're going to talk all things trademarking and probably some other things, but definitely trademarking. And I'm excited because I feel like having a lawyer here is very official. So she is the attorney behind Sprout Law. So it's a law firm for women business owners, and she helps women protect their brands from online copycats. And we know there's a lot of copycats out there. And I think a lot of you have probably dealt with that. So we're just going to dive right in. So Nicole, I'm really happy you're here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me on the pod. I'm really like yeah. looking forward to it. Excited. I know. So we met in Nashville at Ultimate Product Party and I feel like immediately hit it off and I was like, you have to come on the podcast and we need to just talk about law things because you're like a cool lawyer. You're not a stuffy lawyer. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> or attorney. Is there a difference between an attorney and a lawyer? Is that a dumb question? No, I don't okay. think All so. Right. Okay. I'm like using them interchangeably yeah. and I'm like, they don't okay. really teach you that to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> Maybe they should. <laughs> Probably. Okay. So tell me about your like background, your journey, getting you to where you're at today with your business. Yeah. So I had a weird background. I went to law school, graduated, was doing like boring, regular law, we'll call it corporate law. And I was like really into like crypto and like, like regulating crypto and all that kind of stuff. So I was a nerd. I still am a nerd, but (laughs) Then I got really burned out of it and was like, I don't love going to an office every day. Like, I don't love the type of work I'm doing. I don't like my clients. I don't like any of these things. So I kind of had like this weird, it was almost like, I never really made this comparison before. It was kind of like when Jerry Maguire like freaks out at work. Like I didn't freak out, but I had like a Jerry Maguire moment. Like it it was probably like 4am in the middle of the night. I'm like a chronic, like not sleeper where I just think of random things in the middle of the night. So I was like scrolling Pinterest I found this like recipe for sugar scrubs, like body scrubs and like different like DIY skincare. 
it never crossed my mind like, oh, just make this for fun. Immediately, I was just like, oh, I'll just like start a business doing that. <laughs> and I've never done it before, but sure, that's what I'm going to do now. Yeah. This is my new career. So I, I just like went to like the local Walmart and like got like these like 12 pound bags of sugar and it was just like making them in my kitchen, like packing up my car full of sugar scrubs and just like started selling them at festivals during the summer, like totally a random thing. But I started actually selling them. I mean, not at first, like at first people were like, this is terrible. And then it was like iterating. Like I didn't realize that I was, you know, kind of like doing all the, the business things that you do, like finding my customers and my target market and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so finally people actually started buying them. I started making some money doing this and was like, okay, I like this a lot better than my law job. I was still doing my law job, but I was just kind of doing this on the side. I started growing. Eventually we started getting into like stores. I started approaching all the different stores in my town and asking them to buy them. Like first we were on consignment and then we actually started like getting into more stores and then we went to trade shows and then we were like in stores internationally and it became like an actual business out of just kind of like very surprising to me. Um, and so I left my law job, just doing this full time. And then one day, two years later, I mean, at this point we were like in stores, we were probably in like maybe 250 stores around the world. We like get some international customers. We're in the golden globes, gift bags, like things were going what? well. What? That is so then, cool. Plot twist. I wake <laughs> up one day. <laughs> <laughs> I wake up one day to an email. That's a cease and desist letter. That's like, this is our trademark brand and you can't use this brand name anymore. And I was like, oh, but I was like, I'm actually like trying to avoid all the legal stuff right now. Thank you very much. Like I'm on a break from all of that. So no, you know, yeah. um, but like obviously had to rebrand because I was, I didn't have a trademark. I wasn't thinking about it. I was like literally trying to avoid it. Um, but also like, you know, when you're running a business, especially a product business, you're like, I don't really have money to do that. Like I've got to invest in inventory. I have to invest in branding. I got to invest like it's expensive. So it was just like, I was focused on getting clients. I was focused on like shipping out my product, making my product, like all the, the millions of things on my to-do list. Yep. Trademarking was just like not on there. And so I didn't have one, didn't think about it, honestly. Then I had to rebrand and they were like, cool, you have 30 days. Best of luck. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess I've got to come up with a brand name first of all. Cause I like, which how do I even pick a new, like, you know, coming up with that's hard. That could take 30 and days then, in and of itself. <laughs> exactly. Like some of my clients now, you know, it can take like three to six months to come up with a good one. So, mm -hmm. so that was like the first part. Then you have to like rebrand everything. And it's, t you know, thinking about like how many things have your brand name on them. It's like your domain name, your packaging, your business cards, your LLC, like everything. So that takes a long time. And then I had to, tell all my retailers, like I didn't, you know, go into all the details, but I was like, Hey, we're rebranding and, you know, try to put a positive spin on it. But also like, it just, I kind of feel like, you know, they might be a little bit like, what? That's weird. Um, I'm sure it happens all the time and it's like, nobody actually really cares, but you know, it felt embarrassing to send that email to be like, we're rebranding. Yeah. So we rebrand and I'm, but I'm still like pissed because I'm just like, Oh, like, this shouldn't happen. You know, like, how did I not know about this? The lawyer so, is the one <laughs> like, exactly. I should have seen this coming. 
I, it was more like the injustice of it, even though it was like complete, like I was not the aggrieved party, but it was just more like, how, how are people not talking about this more? Mm-hmm. Like, cause it's just a thing that can happen. And so I started to talk like one of the best things about running a business is all the, the women owned business stuff, like friends that you have. Mm-hmm. And I started talking with my friends about it and they were all like, no, we don't know anything about trademarks, never heard of it, whatever. And you know, these are all women who run businesses. And it was like, well, it could literally happen to any one of my friends. Like all, it could happen to all of us. And I was talking to um, some of my like male friends that run businesses. And they were like, oh yeah, we have seven trademarks. We have 18 patents. We have like all this stuff. And like, they all were on it. And it just became really clear to me. Like, okay, like women aren't being taught this. We aren't talking about it enough. And it's kind of like um, maybe impacting us more because we're not, you know, it's not like a topic of conversation. So I started, I just like learned everything that I could like about trademarks. They have like this big trademark book. That's like, I don't know, a thousand pages or something. And I just like printed it off and <laughs> read through it, learned everything. And I was like, this is never going to happen to me and my friends again. Like <laughs> we're taking this seriously. Um, and so I started doing trademarks for my friends and I was like, Oh, I actually like this. I get to work with my friends. I get to meet, other business owners get to learn about new businesses um, and just kind of like became a thing that started growing a lot faster than my beauty business did. So I sold my beauty business, transitioned into Sprout Law. At first it was called the Law Factory. It had like neon green, like Nickelodeon colored gears. And then I was like, wait, what is this branding? So we kind of like transitioned it into Sprout Law. (laughs) That was maybe like five or six years ago. Um, trademark sprout law, obviously that was the very first thing I did. Cause I was like, I'm not going through this again. Yeah. Um, and then it just became, became a thing. So here we are. It's so five cool. years later. It's, it's so cool how you were able to take something that really sucked. Cause I'm sure that that, it hurt your ego. Probably it hurt your wallet. <laughs> it hurt a lot of things and turn that into a thriving business later and the fact that you were able to sell your business. So it's like, it's not like that money was just, you know, lost. Like you actually were able to sell it and move forward and do this other thing. That's really, that's really an awesome story because I think it's so easy for people to just talk about, Oh, you know, I did this and I did this and here I am doing this and not really talk about those maybe embarrassing, crappy situations that happen. So Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on here. I mean, we we all have them. You know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think, yeah. like, I like to talk about the things that are not great in my business because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. In fact, it's like those are yeah. more few and far between. I think for a lot of us. So, whenever you were in that transition, like when when did you decide? Okay, I rebranded and I'm going to sell it and go full in on the law business? Like how did that transition look? Yeah. I've always kind of like thought I've I've always wanted the thing I'm transitioning to, to be like, okay, this is enough money that I could live on it before Mm -hmm. I like let the other thing go. Yeah. So it was really like, you know, once it was really just a revenue question for me of like, okay, once it got to this level and, and like seeing how much faster it grew was like, okay, this just, this just seems like it has more traction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes that naturally, I think, unfolds for itself. Like you, mm-hmm. you start to see, and even if it's not switching entirely, like switching career paths, you know, it sometimes it's just like an avenue in your business where you're like, 
this part of my business has traction and I'm forcing this other thing, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, like I need to pivot a little bit and just like follow what the prophet is telling me or what your passion, like all, you know, all the things. I was having that same conversation this morning at coffee with one of my friends who she was like, you know, I think I want to go after like this type of, of customer. And, you know, we were talking about like, but this other type of customer is just like, so much easier and they're right there. And like, you should just go after them because that's yeah. a lot easier. So yeah, it's, it's a path of, it's like hard resistance. to see that sometimes. It is yeah. hard to see it, especially when it's your own business. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I want to talk about just like the process of like, if someone has not trademarked, like, what does that process look like? And it could be the process of working with you, but like, what are the steps that you take before I mean, I guess I was going to say before you've even started your business, but everybody listening to this podcast has already started their business. So let's just start with that. You've already been in business. What are the steps that you take for that? Yeah, I think like trademarking doesn't have to be something that you do, you know, before you've started. I would say it's like 50-50, like 50% of our clients are people who are doing it ahead of time and 50% of people who've already Hmm, started. Interesting. Okay. the, the first step is like trademark search, which just means like, let's see if your name is available. So just to like, actually, maybe I should back up a bit. So like the trademark itself is going to be like, how do you protect your brand name, your logo, your tagline, these like branding elements? How can you protect those in your space and make sure that nobody else can use it? So just in my case, like my business is called Sprout Law. And like every year there's somebody that pops up and they're like, we're Sprout Legal. And I have to be like, mm, no, you're not. Go away. <laughs> but like, if you don't have the trademark, then people can do that. People can be, there can be like 15 different Sprout variations within your industry. And like, obviously there can be like a Sprouts grocery store and a Sprouts kids store. Cause like those are all different, different spaces, industry. like industries. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, like if you're listening to this podcast and then you go to find me afterwards, you're like, well, wait, there's 15 different Sprout laws. Like which one are you? Are you Sprout legal? Are you the Sprout law company? Like it can get really confusing if there's a lot of people with the same name Mm -hmm. in your space. So that's where the trademark comes in to make it so that like, it's really easy for your customers to find you and not get confused. So So, if you, if you are, okay, so you've done your search and you've applied for you, Oh, you have your trademark now. So that covers logo branding, things like that. What if you are like known for, a certain pattern or like something that's a little bit more nuanced, like a, a design of something. Cause this is like, I think where some gray area starts to happen. Are there ways to protect those kinds of things underneath that trademark or is that a separate thing? Yeah. So that sounds more like a copyright. Okay. So that's going to be for like designs, patterns, um, artwork, photos, videos, mm-hmm. courses, things like that. Gotcha. Um, and so you can protect those things, but then there's, there are some gray areas where it's like, you know, I want to protect this idea or like, I want to protect like, like the vibe of my brand. Like we're mm-hmm. beachy and we use beach colors. And like this other brand is also using beach colors. Like their copy kind of like, it's not exactly the same word for word, but it like, you know, it brings aesthetic. up the same elements or feelings. And it's like, those things are not really protectable. Um, mm-hmm. in the same way, like you can't really be like, the only person that has like a mobile flower truck in Nashville, for example, like <laughs> perfect example. Cause there's a million of those <laughs> random, it's not, it's not but flower trucks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I had somebody ask me that last week. So that's why I'm like, really? just random example. You can't yeah. do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like 
So things like that, like you can protect like a specific creative expression of something, which would be like how your design looks or how your pattern looks. But if it's like an idea or like things like that, it's harder to protect. So if you are noticing like, okay, so you have your trademark and you're noticing that there is another brand that is like straight up taking copy from your website and emulating your brand aesthetic. Is there anything you can do with that? Can you kind of just depends on what exactly there is, like what exactly they're taking, like how many elements of it are they pulling from things like that. Sometimes we'll still send a cease and desist letter, even if we don't exactly have like the best case, because like sometimes people will take it down. Mm -hmm. Like, I got an email from a client a couple of days ago that like somebody took it down, even though we didn't really have like good cases to do it. Like they at least stopped because they knew just that like, like somebody was watching them. Yeah. Like we can tell yeah. that you're looking at us. Like, please stop. Right. So I, yeah. like, I come from, you know, the corporate retail background and I worked for a brand that is notorious for copying. Um, and what's interesting on having been on the inside of that brand, that was never the intention it was never like, we found this one small brand, at least in my experience, I don't want to speak for the entire brand. In my experience, in my categories, it was never, we found this one small brand, we want to make it ours. It was always out shopping, finding some inspiration from things and thinking that it was like changed enough from what we found. But actually what we, the inspiration we got came from somebody who knocked off somebody else who knocked off somebody. It's like, is this really gross? That happens a lot. Yeah. That it happens all the time. And like, especially when you're buying things from like Timu or Alibaba, we send a lot of cease and desist letters to small brands who are, and they are straight up copying our clients designs. And they say like, but I bought it on Timu and like, I bought it legally. And like, so I should be able to use it. Yeah. Um, But it's like, well, you can't, if it's somebody else's stolen design. Yeah. So how like do you, you still protect bought it? Yourself? Congrats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you congrats. can't actually sell it yeah. legally in the United so, States. So. so how do you protect yourself as from copying other people inadvertently? I know there's rules like you have to change everything by I'm gonna say thirty or forty percent, like has it has to be different, like yeah. baseline, like at bare minimum. But if you are buying from a place like Alibaba, which I think is you have to be really careful when you're doing that. Um, like, what are some things that you recommend people do? It's really to make hard sure? because, you know, we're talking about like the steps to the trademark process. So, like, step one is like we run a search for your brand elements to see, like, does anybody else have this brand? They don't really have that for copyright. So, because like there's, I don't know, I guess maybe it's harder to search or something, but there's not really a good way to search. So, there's not really a good answer other than like, don't buy from them. But like, I don't know if that's reasonable. So yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of instances, you have the ability to change certain aspects when you're buying from Alibaba or Mm -hmm. Timu or any of those. Yeah. So maybe just try to change it enough so that it's, yeah, that it's different. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that's a really, a really tough thing. Another thing as I'm like talking, I'm just thinking about, so let's say you are a stationary designer. I'm going to make this up. Let's see if I can articulate this. You're a stationary designer and you're inspired by a graphic t-shirt or something like where, when you're changing the industry and you're not, you're not like straight up copying that, 
but you're inspired by it, are there some parameters that you recommend, like the bare minimum to change something? Well, so in general, like, you know, if it's like a a short saying on a shirt or like a Mm -hmm. short saying on like a greeting card, like those like short sayings in general, unless it's like a brand name or a tagline, but like, let's say it's just, you know, plant mama on a shirt that might be a trademark. I don't know, but like, let's just say it's not, I have no idea. Um, there's not really a way to protect that. So it's sort of like any, usually those short sayings, like anybody can use those types of things. Mm-hmm. So it's really just about like, what's your, what is the design, if anything that you've added around it? Yeah. Is it like different enough or unique to you? Yeah. You know, I was just thinking of like, do you remember when Paris Hilton tried to trademark that's hot? <laughs> this was exactly the conversation I was having this no, morning. Oh it. my God, this is so weird. I swear. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> that's crazy. Like that's it's it just makes my me friend laugh. at coffee said like Paris Hilton, and I don't know if this is true. My friend is not a trademark attorney. Like we weren't even talking about trademarks, but she knows that I am. So like she was telling me this, but like I don't know if it's true, but she said Paris Hilton has made most of her independent money from trademarking it's hot or that's hot or whatever the saying is. Um just so weird. That was like two hours that's, ago. That's I know, bizarre. Random. That's so bizarre. Yeah. I don't know if it's true or not. So I don't either. I don't either. Let us know. (laughs) So um, for your, like in your experience with the different clients you've worked with, what are some things that you're, you're like, if only I could share these couple of best practices, like what are, what are some of those things that you're like, this consistently has happened or these are like really big mistakes. You have three. Okay. I've got three. These are the, these are the ones that like come up the most often. Like I, I would say if not daily, definitely weekly. And also that I feel like just are the biggest pains. If you go through them, Mm -hmm. like there's tons of like little mistakes that don't matter like in anything, but these are the ones that like, I think are the most. So number one, don't invest a ton into your business, your packaging, any of that, unless you've actually run a trademark search and made sure that like this is available. And if you're going to be like spending a ton of money on branding and packaging, the trademark is an important part to do before that, to make sure that you are not infringing on somebody else and have to rebrand it. Like I did, like we, we have a lot of clients who will pay for branding. They've already paid like $10,000 or $5,000 for branding. And then they come to us and we're like, well, this is somebody else's brand. Like you are not allowed to use this anymore. And they, they now have to repay for branding because their branding person told them like this, we, we don't do anything with trademarks. So it's like people are paying for brands and packaging they can't use and can get a cease and desist letter on. So number one, like before you get into branding and like packaging and spending a lot of money on it, then I think it makes sense to like prioritize the trademarking process. Number one, number two, trademarks aren't something to DIY. There's a lot of things that you can DIY legally. I mean, as far as like a legal perspective, like I think LLCs are like pretty simple. Like that's your name and address, do some Googling around. You can figure out how to like file that yourself. Same with like DBAs and even like copyrights. I think those are pretty simple to DIY if you're going to do like an hour or two of research. But trademarks aren't really like that because there's just like so many people out there who want different brand names and like they're pretty broad about what's too similar. So like if I'm like Sprout Law, 
like I also need, it's like contextual. So I also need to look for like, is there a sprouted person who's giving advice on branding? Well, maybe that's too close to me doing brand trademarks. Like the names have a lot of variation. The services have a lot of variation. So it's just like, we see a lot of people who DIY the application. It takes a while while for the application to get reviewed. So they're waiting like eight months and then it gets denied. And it's like, well, if you would have come to us in the beginning, like we could have told you this wouldn't even have been worth your time to do, you know? So it's like that. And then sometimes like we fix people's applications and like we had one, I think like two weeks ago, um, that they were just like the trademark office, like you can't fix it. Like, no, you have to go back to the beginning this person DIY'd it and like the way that they did it, like it was such a nuanced thing. It was like, they included CBD beverages in the description and like we couldn't take out the word CBD. Well, you can't have CBD beverages in there because it hasn't been approved by the FDA because it's an adjustable product. This is down the rabbit hole, but now we're in it. So yeah, we're in it. keep going. <laughs> so you couldn't have CBD beverages in the description of what your product is because it's not approved by the FDA because you have to ingest it. So a trademark has to be for a legal product, but this wasn't a legal product. So we were like, okay, so my client filed it like that. And they came to us and they were like, can you help us DIY it? So we were like, I was like, I don't think they'll let us change it because if we take out the word CBD. They have like this rule that you can't make the, once you file it, you can't make the products more broad. So CBD beverages, like a very specific product, but once you take it out, it's now all beverages. So we can't take it out, but we can't leave it in. And so now we have to just refile the entire thing. But in the meantime, your rights are based off of, I mean, a good part of them are based off of when you filed the application. So they filed this first one about a year ago, but in the meantime, somebody else has filed an application who now has better rights than them because they, their new filing date is going to be like now. So it's just like snowballs. So don't DIY it. (laughs) Don't DIY it. (laughs) Yeah. Can I ask you, I I don't want to get off topic, but I just want to ask this question. So once your trademark application is in and you're waiting eight, nine, 10 plus months for it to Mm -hmm. be reviewed, do you have any rights while it's pending? No. Yeah. You don't really have any rights until it actually gets registered. So, Um, but you do have like, a lot of it's like based on who filed it first. So it's like, you're the first person in line. So if anybody files it after you, you can't really stop them right now. But once you get it, usually you can then yeah. you then can. Yeah. And, and their application would get denied by the trademark office because they filed it after you. After. But yeah. if you file it wrong, then you can exactly. file it in the line and exactly. start over again. Okay. All right. Yeah. Number three. What was number yeah. three? <laughs> we have a lot of clients who say, they'll come to us and they'll be like, I don't need to run a trademark search. I've run it myself. I know that it's fine. I've looked in the database and that's just like not really how it works. Like I put on my website, I'm like, I say this with love. I know you've run a trademark search. It's not good. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> I forgot you told me that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So it's not really as simple as like putting it into the search. Like I wouldn't put like Sprout Law into the trademark database search, which you can go to at USPTO.gov and like mess around with the, the, their little Google search there that will pull up like all the different trademark applications. But like I was saying, like there's so many different variations. Like if I put in Sprout Law, it might come up as just me, but there might be other people who have applications for like Sprouted or like, you know, they, they might be, they might be Sprout, but in a different service that's like kind of connected to mine. So like, there's just a lot of context around the search that like, honestly, you need a computer to run it. Like you need some sort of like 
someone who's smarter than a human to like look at all these different things and then and then like have a human like break it down and give you like the analysis of like okay here's what looks good here's why stuff like that do you think that ai and all those capabilities are going to change this process even like you know just reviewing or diying um or even like running copyright searches things like that do you think that's going to impact this i mean probably it's hard to tell like where they're where they're going to be at but they're not there right now like i mess around with chat gpt we were talking about this before the show but like Mm -hmm. when when you try to put it in it tells you like we can't run a trademark search we don't know um and then like i had a client a couple weeks ago who sent me like this is how we should respond to the trademark office and it was like what chat gpt said they're like, ChatGPT told me to respond to this. And I was like, honestly, this isn't a very good response. Like it's missing a lot of the details. It's missing a lot of the like creativity. So like as part of the process, like you file your application, it goes through um, about like eight months until it's reviewed. And then most of the time the trademark office will like ask for changes. They'll want to talk to us. Sometimes they want us to submit arguments. And like, that's the part where I feel like ChatGPT could be really interesting because it can like help with the arguments. But it's not very creative. I mean, it's not meant to be creative. Right. But like, Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's certain things like, like arguments that we make that have gone through, like some, someone's trademark is like juicy and they're like, okay, well this refers to juice. And we're like, Hmm, actually refers to like a woman's behind. Here's all these lyrics from master P and like Kendrick Lamar and Cardi B like, it refers to something else and they'll be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It does. Go ahead. Can't, can't go. argue with that. Like, I love it. Yeah. And like chat, chat GPT is like, not like, it doesn't come up with those random, yeah. like there's like a pop culture aspect to it that like, that the, you can use to convince the people, the trademark office that, like, or like they love urban dictionary. They love like things like that, that like chat GPT doesn't really know at this point. Yeah. And you say at this point, cause I'm curious as it gets smarter and smarter and yeah. more, like current and relevant, it will, I'm sure, change. But it's interesting that that's how it is right now. So that's like, you heard it here first. <laughs> don't don't use ChatGPT for your law guidance. <laughs> I don't think like so. It's, it's, it's good as like a Google replacement. You know, if you're going to yeah. Google like, if you're going to Google like, um, can I trademark my name or my logo? Is that one application or two? It's going to tell you that it's two. Yeah but it's not going to tell you like, well, does it make sense for you to do the name or the logo? Like what makes the most sense? What are the considerations? That kind of yeah. stuff. So like, it, it doesn't do necessarily the thinking for you, but it does guide yeah. you. And I feel like Google is changing too with the way that they're rolling out their new platform and their search engine. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. just to kind of watch. I don't know. So yeah. I want to ask like you, it. yeah, it's fun. It's fun to play around with. Um, I want to ask you just like a couple co- final questions, but about your, your journey on the product side. So I know I'm going back to the beginning of the conversation, but because you literally had a successful business, that's a product-based business and everybody listening to this has a product-based business. I feel like I have to ask you just what that journey looked like when you were growing from making it and like reworking your formula to selling to hundreds of shops and multiple countries. Like what did that growth look like? How did you grow all those wholesale accounts? Because I'd imagine, I don't know what year this was, but it was probably before fair and these wholesale platforms. Like what was that like grassroots kind of uh, outreach like for you? Yeah. I'm excited to talk about this actually. I don't get to talk about it very much. Um, so like I was saying, I started out like just selling at festivals, Mm -hmm. just 
which I think Random, so many people like, do. Craft fairs, festivals, things like that. Yeah. Um, and really that was like refining my products, like look, like really getting into like what people would pick up, what they would say when they picked it up. Like they looked at my packaging and they'd be like, is this ice cream? Like they were very confused. Um, and so it was like, okay, note to self, like, don't use the don't packaging make it look that like I ice thought cream. was super cute. Yeah. Like I thought it was cute, but like they were getting confused or like, you know, I would look at the, like what products sold the best or like what scent sold the best at the end of the thing and be like, okay, we're not going to make those the, the poorly performing ones anymore. We're just going to go out with like this, these ones. So it was like a lot of iteration and like noticing like, okay, what, who are the people who come over? Who are the people who buy, like kind of getting a target customer profile that way. Um, and then as far as like getting into stores, once, once like I felt like I knew what the products were, I knew who the customers were. I was just going to like Yelp in different towns. I mean, like what are the stores that they would shop in? Like, looking at the Yelp of different stores. And then I would like either if it was local, I started, I started with like local ones. I'd just show mm-hmm. up and be like, Hey, yeah, here's my products. You know, and like, <laughs> I had like a line sheet that I, I'd like, uh, like an order form that mm-hmm. I just made on, you know, like word doc. Like it was, was not Canva. very, yeah. This was pre Canva. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was like 2015, 2016. Okay. It was like kind of when it started. So maybe Canva existed, but I didn't, I don't know if I knew about it. And then, um, I just had like a friend who's a graphic designer. She like just did the packaging. My sister came up with a brand name. Like the branding was not like really even. Well, it's no a good thing you didn't brand. spend a ton yeah. in that because exactly. you had to change it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I spent like maybe a thousand dollars on the branding for like all the different packaging like SKUs. But, um, so yeah, it was like definitely not like professional, but, um, it, it, it turns out it didn't, I mean, I think the branding game has increased a lot now where you do yeah, think a lot more professionally and, and like better photos and stuff like that. But mine was not like that at the time. Um, I'm sure my photos, if I look back at them are also like pretty shit, but regardless. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe. So then it was time to like get into stores. I was just yeah. showing up being like, Hey, here's my products. Like, will you carry them? Um, and at first they just, like most of like consignment stuff. So it was like, mm-hmm. I wasn't really making a ton of money on those. But then I would go to like Instagram and I would just message different stores. Like, Hey, I created a website. It was like just on Wix or something. And we had like a separate page for wholesale. So I would just direct people to that wholesale page and be like, Hey, here's our products. Like we had a pretty low minimum. So, cause you know, we're just kind of trying to grow. So it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it was like a hundred, $200. Like it was like, a pretty low amount that people had to spend. Um, and then I was just mess like messaging. I mean, I think the limits of how many people you can message on Instagram are a little different now, but I was messaging like 50 people a day being like, Hey, I saw you have a store in Rockport, Rhode Island or like wherever, like here's the product. Um, so we got in a good amount of stores that way. I was still making the products in my house for a very long time. And then we, rented an apartment that had an extra room so I could like store all of my stuff because it was like a lot of storage in this extra room. This is where I would like make everything and store everything. So it's like the business had like one room that was just like me making it. And I would just make it in like this huge batch of all at once. Like every month I'd be like, okay, time to make 2000 (laughs) bath scrubs and (laughs) make them all. And then keep them like in our little storage thing. It's probably not like, good manufacturing practices compliant for bath and body products. But I mean, I think, I think that that's how 
it starts for everybody. And also, like you said, things have changed, you know? So mm-hmm. I think what maybe yeah. would fly in 2015, 2016, 2017 is different now. But I think that you have to, that's mm-hmm. how you start. Everybody starts that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's and like, otherwise you're, you're just going to invest a ton of money. Yeah. yeah. No one, yeah. Can, you can't afford that unless you have an investor up front, which mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so there was that. Then um, I had saved up a bunch of money from like that, the store money that was coming in to go to a trade show. I went to a completely random trade show. It was not for Bath and Body. It was Magic in Las Vegas, yeah. which is all apparel. Wow. Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting it, you to say that. It was totally <laughs> random. Um, and just got a couple hundred orders from that. A couple hundred so orders? That was, yeah. So that was weird in the sense that like, wow. I think because we're like the only like, yeah. there's a few other skincare people there, but like really it was just us. And so a lot of them were like, just random yeah. stores coming in being like, Oh, Hey, oh, let's yeah, we need this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, and then the next year we went, we did like a, the next year I did more trade shows, but I did more like in the same industry as me. It didn't wor- really seem to work as well. Like we did, um, Atlanta, the gift market. And I feel like we did like, I think I did Dallas maybe. Um, but so I think like that like, ones. Yeah. But I think that if I could go back, I probably wouldn't, I probably would just spend more time on Instagram messaging mm-hmm. people or like on fair or like whatever. Um, I mean, I don't know, you, you would know a lot better than me whether fair is like worth it or not. But like, I think the trade shows are just different now that like you can access all those same people on Instagram or on like yeah. wherever, like you can go to the New York now market and just look up like, okay, here, like, here's who's going who's going to be yeah. there or like you yep. can you can you know create stories like one of the things i would do for like new york now specifically is like mm-hmm. um because i always wanted to go but i never did um it's like whenever it was happening i would like create little like advertisements in my stories and i would like tag like new york now so that like whenever people or like that i would hashtag it yeah, so like so the people that up. were there they could see my stuff too even though i wasn't I love that there tip. yeah that's um, a good tip yeah just like random hacks like that but yeah I feel like you could do a lot of the trade show stuff online. So I don't know that I would do that again. Yeah. Necessarily. I think it's like, I mean, my, from my perspective, I, it's definitely changed, but I think trade shows have, are kind of evolving. And so I still think that they're important for brands that are further along. Cause I think mm-hmm. that the buyers that are going there are looking for like still small brands, but maybe that are more established or like a little bit further yeah. along. And so I think you have the chance to get in front of the big buyers at trade shows. Like true. if you're like scaling and leveling up, you're not going to see uh, like the target buyer on fair at all, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I think yeah. it's who, what, like how you're positioning yourself, where you're at in your journey. And like, also you probably want both of them. So it just depends. And the expectation when you go to those trade shows, I think has definitely changed. Like you're not going to get a, um, hundreds of yeah. orders. Like it's just, that's just not going to happen anymore, but you'll make hundred potentially hundreds of contacts that you can then mm-hmm. <laughs> follow up yeah. with. So it's just different, yeah. but I feel like you, it's, it, it seems like you've created your brand at this like really special little time when Instagram was becoming a thing and you know you you like got in there and you were really smart about how you were building it and put and growing and like self-funding and putting yourself out there and that's it's cool that you're in that 
kind of, I don't want to call it a bubble, but it was just before there was this boom of everybody was making everything. Like you still had competition. Mm-hmm. Definitely not yeah. saying it was easy, but like, I think you were, it's just, it's a cool, really cool story. I, love I feel you like that. you could be, you could be less professional about it yes, than yes. you can now. Like, I think now when you go to a trade show, you need to have spent a few thousand dollars on the backdrop mm-hmm. and like everything, like mine was just, you know, stuff from like Michael's or whatever. And it, and it was fine. Like it didn't need to look as professional. So yeah. I feel like in that sense, you, I was able to like bootstrap it a little bit easier and be yeah. like, and not spend a ton of money on the branding, the yeah. photography, like the look of it. Yeah. You could just use those, yeah. those, uh, Instagram filters that everybody was yes. obsessed with. We all yeah. used. Don't go back and look at your images. Don't go back. Just avoid it. It would be painful. Yeah. (laughs) I would avoid it. But the other thing that I really, uh, that, that the thing that I feel like has really stayed the same though, is just like reaching out to people on Instagram like that. Like I still do that in my business. Now it's how we get most of our clients is like just making friends with people on Instagram. Well, that's the key. I think that's the key. It's making it's like establishing a real connection, not mm-hmm. just reaching out and cold DMing because yeah. that does not work anymore. I think mm-hmm. it's like making a friendship and like actually yeah. reaching out to places that you are like uh, shops that you actually could see your brand in where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not just like, yeah, like places that you actually shop. Yeah. 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 For mm-hmm. sure. Oh, well, this was really awesome. I love your story. Thank you for yeah, sharing it. You. Where can everybody find you? Tell me all the things. You can find me at sproutlaw.com. You can also find me on Instagram at sproutlaw, on TikTok at sproutlaw, where we're talking about celebrity gossip and all of the different <laughs> trademarks that celebrities have filed. I love and whether it. you think their names are terrible or not. I love it. <laughs> I love following you. <laughs> you. Uh, I'll link it out. And you have, I think, a webinar um, as well, that I think would be a really good resource for everybody. So I can link that out in the show notes too. So everybody can get their hands on that. Yeah, that'd be great. If you guys want to learn more about trademarking, we've got a webinar. If you want to just like watch a quick video about it, or you can talk to me. We have free consultations too. You can find it all at sproutlaw.com. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I just love chatting with you. Yeah, I know. Okay. Thank you. It was awesome. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. If you are loving the show, I would be so beyond grateful if you would rate and review the podcast and share it with one of your biz besties to help spread the word. I hope that you absolutely crush your sales this week. I'll be back to chat with you next Monday.